The following resource is from Cambrian Park Baptist Church. For more information, please visit cpbchurch.org. Heavenly Father, we have gathered here this morning and we are relying fully upon the Holy Spirit to do a mighty work in our lives. We want to faithfully hear this passage from Acts chapter 19 and see clearly the two kingdoms that are at war even now, Father. Your kingdom and the kingdom of Satan. We praise you for sending Christ and upon the cross knowing that he mortally wounded the greatest foe, Satan, and all the demons, Father. And at the same time, we want to be wise knowing that Satan and the demons still attempt to tempt and persuade us into unrighteousness. I ask, Lord, that you would take this teaching and make it clear to us that we might be a people who every day put on the full armor of you that we would desire to be prepared to engage in this battle that rages every day in our own hearts, in this church, in this community, and around the world. I pray, Father, that you would help us this morning to see the very real enemy that we have and that in Christ we can overcome him completely. We pray as well, Father, for all your true churches here in San Jose and throughout the world. I lift up this morning in particular, Orchard Community. I lift up to you, Pastor Todd and Pastor Daniel and their elders. And as they have gathered this morning here, um, minutes from us, um, engaging in this same act of worship, I pray, Lord, that you too would bless them with a better understanding of who you are, this battle that we're engaged in, that you might make them, as a church, a mighty, mighty people fighting for the faith here in the South Bay. We praise you, Lord, that we can gather here On this Lord's day, this is your day, we are your people. And so by your grace and mercy, change us, transform us into the holy people that you have called and equipped us to be. I pray you would do that for our own well-being, for the well-being of the Cambrian Park community, and of course, and above all else, for your glory. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. title of the sermon is Kingdoms at War. Certainly in the last two weeks, war, I imagine, has been upon your heart and mind as well as we see what's taking place on the world stage. If you're old enough, you probably remember September 11th, 2001, when 2,997 Americans died at the hands of terrorists. And if you were like many Americans and Christians at that time, you asked, how could something like this happen in this day and age? Most of you know, if you've been here for a while with our abortion ministry, that there are probably over 100 million babies that are murdered every year in this country, murdered in their mother's wombs. And we ask ourselves, how could something like this happen in this day and age? Thousands have died just in these past two weeks. Thousands more will die in the Ukraine. As the United States and the world keeps asking, how could something like this happen today in the 21st century? Aren't we beyond that? Aren't we more mature than that? Aren't we more knowledgeable than that? Even Christians with a very firm understanding of sin and the depravity of the human heart continue to be bewildered by what seems to be the progressive evil that's making its way into our lives and our culture. But the problem, my beloved, is not an historical one. It's a theological one. Christians only ask those questions because we forget 
the enemy that we fight. And when we forget that enemy, we don't fight well. We might want to take some advice from Radagast the Brown, if you know the Hobbit. He was that beautiful, very strange wizard that lived in the woods. And as his forest, he saw sickness grew in the forest, and the animals began to die. And he said to himself, it's not as though it's witchcraft. And then he paused and he said, witchcraft. Oh, but it is, he said, a dark and powerful magic had come upon the land. And for those of you who know the story, Sauron, the evil one, had come back to Middle-earth and he had cast a spell upon that land and that forest and sickness and death were the result. My beloved American Christian struggle understanding the pervasiveness of evil today. We use words like, it's insane, it's crazy. It's not. It's demonic. It's dark. We have forgotten one of our primary enemies, if not the primary enemy against God and his church, and that is Satan. That is the devil. We've forgotten it because a lot of churches and a lot of pastors won't even use those terms anymore because the culture no longer believes in Satan and the devil. And yes, I'll show you today many within the church. The Bible teaches that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan have been at war for millennia. And so in places like Ephesus, which we will join Paul today, and and certainly in places like the Bay Area where the influence of Christ and the gospel is waning, We should expect darkness and evil of all kinds to fill the void if the light is not pressing it back. And that's because where the light of Christ is not actively pushing back the darkness, the darkness will prevail. So in our passage today, we will join Paul again in Ephesus. He's at the beginning of his third missionary journey, somewhere 54 to 58 A.D. And I would like for us to see the reality of these two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan And I want us to see the consequences for us, for our lives, for our families, for this church, and certainly this community, if we do not take seriously this enemy the Bible calls the devil. And I want us to see our calling as children of the light to actively push back the darkness. You are well equipped, my beloved, to fight well in this kingdom warfare. So I want to do that this morning by looking at three things from the passage. Do I have your attention yet? I hope so. I hope so. Number one, God's healing kingdom. Number two, Satan's destructive kingdom. And number three, transferring kingdom citizenship. We're going to look at the healing kingdom of God, the destructive kingdom of Satan's, and how do you get your, tra- how do you get your citizenship transferred out of Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom? The theme of the sermon is this. Know thy enemy so you can fight the good fight of faith. Know your enemy and know him well so you can fight well this good fight of the faith. Number one, God's healing kingdom. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, Acts chapter 19. And he, Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So if you remember, at the end of his second missionary journey, he stopped off in Ephesus. He left Priscilla and Aquila there. He spoke briefly in the synagogue and then he went to Jerusalem and then up to Antioch of Syria. He was checking in on the churches and giving them a missionary report. And then he set back out for Ephesus again. And he returns here as he promised he would. And he goes back to the synagogue as he said he would. And he spent three months boldly reasoning and persuading them of what? The kingdom of God. 
He was, he was using their Hebrew scriptures to teach them about this kingdom of God. Now, you say, well, why, why would Paul, a Jew, teach Jews about the kingdom of God? If any people on earth believed about the kingdom of God, it would have been Jews. And they did. They believed in God's kingdom, and they believed in an eternal king. What they were struggling with is what Paul was saying about this kingdom and this king. Number one, they did not believe that the supposed king of this kingdom, Jesus Christ, had actually come to earth. And number two, they did not believe that he had already established his kingdom on earth. That through his death and resurrection and ascension, he'd overcome the powers of sin and death and who? And Satan. And then by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he established his outpost, his, his emissaries. We would say his army here on earth. Those indwelt by the Holy Spirit and empowered by God to push back the, the darkness with the light of Christ. So Paul reasoned with them, but they refused to be what? Reasonable. Look at verse 9. But when some became stubborn, those in the synagogue, and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. So the Jews were rejecting the truth, the clearly revealed truth, in their own scriptures in order to embrace a lie. And as soon as they did that, now they had to go on the offensive, right? They couldn't allow Paul to continue to preach on the way, and so they maligned Paul, they maligned the message of the way, and Paul wisely said, we, we can't stay here any longer. Three months he tried, he said, we're going to move out, we're going to go to another location, the Hall of Tyrannus, and I'm going to teach and preach there. And Paul did patiently. Look at verse 10. For how long? For two years. The Apostle Paul continued this for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now this is, up to this point in time, this is the longest period of time the Apostle Paul has spent in any particular location. And he was doing so because tens of thousands were hearing the gospel. They were hearing the truth about this kingdom of God that had actually come in the king and the person of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit was doing some great work the gospel was going out. People were being saved. The kingdom of God had come to Ephesus and was making itself known. Look at verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Luke tells us the Holy Spirit, now it's the Holy Spirit doing the miracles through the Apostle Paul, and he's doing miracles that are extraordinary, extraordinary miracles. Now, you have to say to yourself, no, wait a minute, isn't a, a miracle by definition extraordinary? It's not ordinary, it's not natural, it's supernatural. In fact, the Greek literally says that the Holy Spirit through Paul was doing not ordinary miracles. Not ordinary miracles. You say, well, any miracle is not ordinary. True, but these were not, not, super not Really, really not ordinary miracles, all right? Well, what were they? They were healing the sick and the blind and the lame. Demons were being cast out. So that's not, we've seen that in the Gospels. We've already seen it in, in the book of Acts. So what's so extraordinary about these miracles? Most of the time that was happening by, by one of the apostles or Christ, they would speak a word, right? They would, they would touch the person, they would pray for the person, and then there'd be healing or a demon would come out. But here, this is amazing, people are being healed, demons are being cast out when a, when a handkerchief or an apron, you know, do we even know what a handkerchief is today? You know that weird thing that old men like me carry in the back of our pockets? 
in case the nose starts to run. Much better than the sleeve, by the way. A handkerchief or an apron was touching, touched the Apostle Paul, and then it was taken to those who were sick and lame and blind and deaf, and those possessed by demons, and it would touch them, and they'd be healed. It was extraordinary. It was beyond miraculous. Now you hear this, you know, but that's not the first time. Oh, that's very reminiscent of Mark chapter 5, isn't it? When the hemorrhaging woman came up and she touched the hem of Jesus' robe and she immediately was healed. You can say, I, I even remember you, Pastor, talking in Acts chapter 5 when people were being put in the shadow of Peter and they were being healed by that. So it's not brand new, but it is extraordinary and it's happening to a degree that we haven't seen up to this point in time in the scriptures. These were extraordinary miracles that revealed the extraordinary, listen, power and presence of the Holy Spirit of God. The extraordinary power and the extraordinary presence of the kingdom of God coming upon the people in Ephesus. Now, we must remember that miracles were never given by God as an end in and of themselves, ever. They're always given by God to mankind to do what? To encourage our faith in the miracle giver, in God. Right? To cause us to see the truth of the gospel and put our faith in Jesus Christ. And certainly here, remember Paul is testifying that the kingdom had come and Christ is the king. And they're saying, no, it hasn't. And no, he is not. And yet, what do they do with all these miracles that testify to this kingdom reality? How do they explain it? They can't explain it away. They're seeing it happen. And therefore, it must be of God. In fact, the prophet Isaiah, centuries before, he said this exact thing was going to happen. And I imagine even the Jews in the temple, the, the Jews in the synagogue, as they heard Paul reasoning, struggled understanding Isaiah 29 as they saw it happening in their own day. The prophet said, In that day, in that day when the kingdom of God comes, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall she see, the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. So Isaiah said, this is exactly what's going to happen when the kingdom of God comes. Extraordinary miracles testifying to Jesus Christ the King and the fact that his kingdom is now here. In fact, Luke, in, in chapter 11, verse 20, he's telling the story about how Jesus cast out a demon. And if you remember, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were, they were criticizing Jesus, say, you're from Beelzebub, you're from, you're from the devil. And then Jesus said, how, how, how can Satan cast out Satan? If he does that, then the kingdom's going to fall. But then he said this, if it is by the finger of God that I, Jesus said, cast out demons, then what? Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And the kingdom of God had come upon them. When Christ came, he brought God's kingdom to earth. And two things we see from this text which are extraordinary and I hope exciting for you about the characteristics of this kingdom. It was a healing kingdom and it was a freeing kingdom. It was a kingdom that healed man, and it was a kingdom that set man free. Look at verse 12 again. When handkerchiefs or aprons that, that had touched Paul's skin were carried away to the sick, their diseases left them. They were what? They were healed immediately, and the evil spirits came out of them. They were set free from any demonic forces. And so this kingdom did not engage in dark magic. This kingdom did not use sleight-of-hand tricks and techniques to fool people. This was real power from God to heal man's sicknesses. Now, certainly powerful enough, we would, we would even believe today, to heal our physical ailments. That's why we pray. Do we not pray for God to intercede and heal our bodies when we're sick? 
But even more so, and I would say infinitely more important, this kingdom has the power to heal our spiritual ailments. This kingdom has the power to cure that internal disease that plagued you at one time before Christ and plagues every man, and that is the problem of sin. That is the, the cancer that keeps us separated from God and causes all the pain and suffering in our lives. You see, through the work of Christ on the cross, mankind was given access to a far greater miracle than a traveling handkerchief or a traveling apron. A far greater miracle through the cross of Christ. By bearing the consequences of our sin, listen, in his flesh, Jesus grants sinners by grace through faith, what? Forgiveness and freedom. Forgiveness from our sins, complete cleansing. Now I want you, I know you know this, but I want you to sit on it for just a minute. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you have been made clean. If you are in him right now, all the sins you struggled with this week, all the stuff that's still in your mind now, how you will stumble next week has been washed by the blood of Christ. You are what? You are white as snow. You have been cleansed by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now that should be sufficient for you to say, I, I, need, to, I need to hear no more if that's true. But Luke gives us more. He said this kingdom has supernatural power to set you free from the powers of Satan and his awful demons. That means, my beloved, free from the strongest demons in your life. Demons that tempt you to all kinds of things. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, slothfulness, entertainment, money, power. You name the struggle and the temptation behind it. This kingdom of God comes and he sets sinful man free to be the free creatures that God created us to be. To be the free image bearers that God planned us to be in the very beginning. You see, on the cross, Jesus not only died for your sins, but it says specifically he defeated the power of the evil one. Jesus Christ won. And that means Satan and the demons, they have no power over you. They have no control over you if you're in Christ. The only power they have is the power you give them. You know that? When you say, I'm going to let you tempt me, and I'm going to let you guide me down this unrighteous path, through the gospel, my beloved, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, through the gospel, men may come to their senses and escape from the snare of who? Of the devil, after being captured by him to do his will. That's what the gospel does. It sets us free from the power of Satan. So my beloved, just as the handkerchiefs and the aprons could heal the sick and cast out demons in Ephesus, so too, listen, so too does the gospel of grace When you turn, repent of your sins, and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the crucified, risen Savior, it has the power to heal you completely of all your sins and set you free to walk in freedom. Now, I don't know about you, but there are a lot of people in my life that are bound. They're bound by sin. They may not even know they're bound, but we look upon their lives and they're running after money or they're running after sex or they're running after a relationship and they're bound by that. If they don't get it, they're miserable. Christ comes and said, I'm going to set you free from all that, that you will be completely and totally satisfied in me, and therefore you can walk in righteousness. My beloved, this is how loving this king is and how compassionate his kingdom is. As sinners, we know we are deserving of judgment for our sin and rebellion against God, and yet God, through Christ, he offers us healing and freedom instead. Self 
inflicted wounds upon his image bearers and God comes to us through the power of Christ and he says, be healed and be free. That's glorious, is it not? All right, number one, I want us to see that the kingdom of God brought by Jesus Christ is a healing kingdom and it is a freeing kingdom. It is the only kingdom that you want to be in now and the only kingdom you want to be in for all eternity. It's a good place to be. I want to be well and I want to be free. Sounds like something most Americans would say they want to. All right, number two, there's another kingdom, and it doesn't want healing, it doesn't want freedom. It wants suffering, it wants sickness, and it wants bondage. Number two, Satan's destructive kingdom. So against this, we're in Ephesus now, against this fantastic backdrop of kingdom healing, kingdom freedom, salvation in Christ, Luke gives us a glimpse of this other kingdom and this other force, the kingdom of Satan, that as you know, wages battle against God's kingdom every day and will until Christ comes again in glory and finally, once and forever, puts Satan and the demons in the lake of fire. Look at verse 13. Let's look at this other kingdom. Verse 13, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Verse 14, seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. So the, the extraordinary miracles are seen by people throughout the city. And they have, a, they have an impact, but not a right impact, on these itinerant Jewish exorcists. How, how do you like that job title? How would you like to put that on LinkedIn if you're looking for a job? Or you come up to someone and say, hi, my name's Keith. I'm an itinerant Jewish exorcist. What do you do for a living? I mean, that's just a crazy title. And yet these seven sons of the Jewish high priest, Sceva, were hoping to do what? Uh, they, they weren't terribly interested in setting people free from demonic possession. They were wanting to make a buck. Right? It was big money to use spells and incantations to try to cast out these demons. And so what do they do? Look at the latter part of verse 13. They say to the evil spirit, I adjure you. That means I charge you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Even that's pathetic. They're not going to charge the evil spirit to be cast out in the name of Jesus. Say, oh yeah, what that guy said. That guy Paul. Do the same thing. Now, if, if you were with us when we looked at Paul in Athens, if Athens was the, the place of religion, then Ephesus is the place of dark magic. I mean, the city reeked of magicians and soothsayers and charlatans and, and professional exorcists like these seven sons of Sceva, those who specialized in casting out demons. And some were tricksters. I mean, they were just, they were snake oil salesmen. They were trying to, to make money. And others were actually engaged in these, these magical arts. It was very much part of the DNA of Ephesus. In fact, so much so, the, the famous statue of Artemis, which you've probably seen pictures of. If you don't, I think Marlene actually has one on her person today. The Greek goddess of the wilderness and wild animals, she was actually the goddess of the hunt, um, Artemis. In her temple, it was the temple of Diana at the time that Paul was there, but same, same false god talking about here. On her crown, on her girdle, and on her feet were these very strange texts. They were called Ephesian scripts, and they were mysterious terms. It was actually just gibberish. It was kind of like writing on, side of, on the inside of the, the ring in the Lord of the Rings, except it really meant nothing. They, knew, they didn't know what it meant. But the people believed that the incantation was powerful. And so 
um, this city was steeped in that type of thinking. And so the seven sons of Sceva, seeing all the real healing taking place through the Apostle Paul, they think they have found their lottery ticket. I mean, they think they've made a really good purchase here. So in verse 13, invoking the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. They try the trick, but this is not going to be a lottery ticket they want to cash in. Because they're playing with fire and real power, and they don't even know it. Look at verse 15. But the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Now, my beloved, there are times in Scripture where you want to laugh when you read it. This is fantastic. I have no doubt that as Dr. Luke was penning this, he's smiling with great joy. This is a humorous and powerful moment. The demon says, Jesus I know. Oh, I know who he is. He is the Son of God. He's the crucified, risen Savior. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I know this Jesus, says this demon, and he knew him all too well. And then he says, and I recognize Paul. That literally means in the Greek, I esteem Paul. Meaning I I know that he is a servant of Christ and I know that he operates with power that comes from God. And then he looks at these men, seven of them, and he says, who are you? You're not Christ and you're not a disciple of Christ. Who are you? They were charlatans. They were fakes. They were trying to make a buck and the demon knew it. And so not only did the demon refuse to come out of the man, he wasn't going to listen to them because they had no power, But he says, I'm going to attack you. I'm going to exercise vengeance upon you. Look at verse 16. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them. The seven sons of the high priest mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This is such an amazing scene. This is one man indwelt by a a demon and against seven and he He takes all seven down, he wounds them, he strips them naked, and sends them out, fleeing from the house. Now, even today, that would be, for most of you, I I hope, a mortifying thought. In the Jewish culture, the Jewish people were a very modest people. So to be running around the street naked would have been the height of humiliation. Now, what I don't want us to miss here is these are, listen, these are, this was a real demon, a real demon attacking real men. So we hear that today and we hear the word demon and Satan and we hear demonic forces. And I would argue that even for you in your 21st century mindset, you struggle with that. You know the Bible teaches this, but you probably don't use those terms much because if you talk about the devil and you talk about Satan, people look at you a little weird, right? Well, at least maybe they just look at me weird. Maybe it's just they're looking at me weird. Most people today in this country do not believe that demons are real. According to a poll done last year by YouGov survey, only 43% of Americans say they believe demons actually exist. 43%. So 57 say no. An even more grievous statistic for you. According to Barna poll, only 35% of professing Christians in the United States believe in Satan and the demons as described by the Bible. 35%. That means 65% of professing Christians in the United States deny these very real, dangerous, and powerful creatures. They deny they exist. Now, if they deny they exist, I don't know, how do you reconcile a passage like 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, where John writes, the reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the works of the devil. 
How do you, how do you even have that in your theology? So, why do we as Christians need to understand that this kingdom of Satan is real? We don't, we, don't, we don't dwell on these things because we are children of the light. But we must not dismiss them. If we do, it will be at our own expense. We want to believe and understand these truths, first of all, because we're people of the truth. We want to live according to the truth. The Bible teaches clearly that Satan and his demons, they were created beings, created beings by God, fallen angels who were sent to earth. And what do they do now? They exercise their temptation upon mankind. They try to make the fallen world even more fallen. So they're not, listen, when, when I use the word devil or, or Satan or demon, I'm not, it's not a metaphor for evil. It's not a metaphor for sin. It's not symbolic for darkness. These are real, active, dangerous creatures. Real, active, and dangerous. So we're people of the truth. We want to know the truth. Therefore, we want to know about this. There's another reason, though. In war, in order to be prepared for war and to fight well in the battle, you must what? You've heard this before. You must know your enemy. You must know thy enemy. The ancient Chinese general Sun Tzu said this, know thy enemy and know yourself and in a hundred battles you will never be defeated. The Christian would change that a little bit. The Christian would say, know thy enemy and know your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and in a hundred battles you will never be defeated. I think that's a true statement we can hold on to. My beloved, these enemies of God's king, of the kingdom of Satan, against God, against Christ, these demonic forces, they seek to keep ensnared in their sin all those who do not know Jesus. It is their desire to make sure that those who have yet to come to a saving grace in Christ do not know that this kingdom of God has come. It's their job to make sure that we don't, they don't hear about this Jesus Christ. And if they do, they want that version to be perverted. So even as you're sharing the gospel and testifying to the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, they are working actively to make sure the loved ones in your life do not hear. And for you, my beloved, they tempt you, right? Satan is the great tempter. Tempt you. They can't can't get you out of the kingdom, right? Who will separate you from the love of God? Neither depth nor height, nor angels, nor principalities. They're fallen angels. They can't get you out, but they can sure tempt you to sin. They can cause you to stumble, to engage in unrighteousness and bring harm upon yourself, your family, this church, this community, and in so doing, wreck your testimony before the living God. Even recently, my beloved, we've seen major people, major leaders in the church suffer catastrophic falls as a result of immorality. Men that we, many of us know and, and love through sexual immorality. And the testimony is ruined when that happens. Satan loves that. Satan loves to cause us to, or tempt us to sin that we might dishonor God. Now remember, that means that the, the Bible teaches clearly that our battle is against our flesh. I mean, there's plenty of sin in your own heart and against the world and, and capital A-N-D, and Satan. We must not dismiss this enemy, we must not diminish his power. If we do, if you do, if we do as a church or if you do, my beloved, not only is it unbiblical, I would say it's very, very dangerous for you if you say that Satan and his demons 
are not real or not very powerful. You know, in a letter, Paul would write back to the church at Ephesus. He's in Ephesus now. When he's in Rome, he'll write the letter to the Ephesians. And listen to what he says. Still upon his heart and mind, he knows how dangerous it is. This is what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 6. He said, put on the whole armor of God. He said, guard yourself, arm yourself, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of whom? Of the devil, the very real enemy of God. And then he said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. My beloved, that's not the world and that's not your flesh. That's another enemy. Cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, that of course is speaking about Satan and his demons. So if you dismiss these spiritual forces as being powerless or not very powerful, or maybe, maybe you're part of that 65% of professing Christians who say they're not real. If you fall into that category, I would argue that you won't fight well the fight that is before us. Why are you going to put on the armor of God that, that Paul commands in Ephesians 6 if you don't believe the enemy that you need to fight with his armor is real? You might say to yourself, you know, I, I'm pretty good with the temptation of the world and I'm, 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 I'm following John Owen and I'm mortifying my flesh pretty well and I don't worry about the devil. I don't need the armor of God. I don't need fervent daily prayer. I don't need to be in the word. I don't need community. I can go this alone. You will expose yourself to much suffering if you do not see this enemy that is real and powerful. Right? That's not a mistake you want to make, no matter how much time has passed in your lives. We're seeing it play out right now, my beloved, right before our very eyes. In 1994, the Ukraine, if you did not know this, the Ukraine signed the Budapest Memorandum. And in 1994, they agreed to hand over, listen, their 5,000 nuclear warheads. They were the third largest, they had the third largest stockpile of nuclear weapons in the world at that time. They agreed to hand them over if Russia, the United States, and Great Britain promised, one, to never invade them or threaten them, and number two, to respect their sovereignty and their borders. Two years later, 1996, the Ukraine, praised by diplomats and peace activists around the world, handed over their last nuclear weapon, becoming a nuclear-free nation. Now, you don't have to have a degree in political science to understand that that decision, in light of these past two weeks, was catastrophic and deadly. The Ukraine did not know their enemy well. They trusted a signature by the Russians, and now they're suffering much from it. So maybe, my beloved, one of the reasons we Western Christians don't take the means of grace and the call to holiness as seriously as we should is because we don't know our enemy very well either. Maybe that's why we're so relaxed about Christianity. Maybe that's why we move through our days and our weeks without much prayer, without much scripture, and without much community because we've done the same thing Ukraine did back in the early 90s. We don't know our enemy well. If you truly believed Peter, when Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8, that Satan is your enemy. Peter said Satan is your enemy and he does what? He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone, looking for you to what? To devour. And so Peter says, be sober-minded of this fact. 
Be in your word, be in prayer, be in community, exercise the means of grace because this enemy is real and he wants to devour you. Now, I don't know about you, my beloved, I would imagine that if a lion came through those doors right now and came down this aisle, you would not remain seated where you are. Right, it would be exit stage left and right and everywhere else. You'd probably be joining up here, right? This is Satan we're talking about. This is Satan. Far more terrifying than even a roaring lion. He is a formidable enemy that we must take seriously. So have you made the same mistake in your life with Christ? Have you underestimated the great power of this enemy of God and Christ and the church? If you have, you, you put yourself in danger, you put your family in danger. I would say you put your brothers and sisters here in danger of bringing sin into this church. Um, if you are not filled, if your day is not filled with fervent prayer, if you are not actively pursuing God through his word, if you're not seeking to put on the full armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. If you're not doing that, then right now you have underestimated your enemy and you are in danger this morning. At this very moment, you're in danger. Listen, my beloved, I can see even by some of your eyes, you're not hearing what I'm saying here. The enemy is real, he is dangerous. Even in Christ, he can bring you harm. If you have isolated yourself in your faith, if you do not have a mature brother or sister, one, two, three, in your life, around you, praying for you and holding you accountable, then you are in great danger right now if you do not have that community that will help keep you on the narrow path. If you think that the consummation of your Christian faith is a Sunday morning gathering like this and you have not vested yourself in your life, in people who will love you and walk with you. You have not vested yourself in some of the things that we have here, our community groups, our discipleship groups, then you've underestimated your enemy and you're in danger already. My beloved, the seven sons of Sceva underestimated the power of Satan's kingdom. They took the Lord's name in vain as a magical incantation. And unless you want to be wounded and humiliated too, I want to encourage you in Christ to take Satan and his demons seriously. Not as having more power than Christ, we'll look at that in a minute, but a serious enemy to you, to God's church, and to God's kingdom here on earth. How well you know your enemy will determine how well you prepare for and engage in the fight. Amen? All right, number one. God's healing kingdom, number two, Satan's destructive kingdom. I have one more. Transferring kingdom membership. How do you know you're out of one and into the other? Right, so these two kingdoms are put on display in Ephesus. All the people in Ephesus are seeing this, this supernatural work the Holy Spirit's doing through the Apostle Paul, and now they're seeing supernatural power being exercised by this demon attacking and overcoming seven men. So Luke tells us there's a massive migration taking place, not from Ephesus to Athens and not from the Ukraine into Poland, but out of the kingdom of Satan and into the kingdom of God. Look at verse 17. Luke says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. What became known? Against this backdrop of all these extraordinary miracles and the power of God in Christ being displayed. 
this battle, this other battle between this demon and these seven itinerant exorcists was also revealed on display. And so the people in Ephesus are seeing this, this grand theater, right? Every moment of every day, even right now, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light are doing battle. Right now, as we sit here, I imagine if we could put on those glasses that gave us spiritual vision, we'd probably all be terrified at what's happening at this very moment in this very place. Well, the people of Ephesus, they got a firsthand look they're seeing the, the, the extraordinary miracles exercised by the Spirit through the Apostle Paul. They're seeing the kingdom of God manifest on the earth. And they're also seeing simultaneously this other kingdom, a very real powerful kingdom, the kingdom of Satan through this possessed man. And so they are they're reasoning through this. And they conclude this. Listen, they said that demon who is powerful knows Jesus. He knows Jesus. And that demon who is powerful is more powerful than these seven sons of the high priest. And so they're looking at this and they're beginning to understand it. And they begin to realize we're in the wrong place. Where many of us are still stuck in this kingdom of darkness, we're still aligned with that demon-possessed man instead of the kingdom of light, instead of the kingdom of Christ, which they now see to be infinitely more powerful. Verse 17, in fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Literally, it means he was declared as great. He was declared as powerful. How powerful? More powerful than this demon who overtook these seven men. Fear fell upon them, rightly so. They saw the miraculous power taking place between God and Satan on their center stage, and they drew the right conclusions. By God's grace, many repented and many believed. Oh, my beloved, we, we, want to, we want to rightly acknowledge. I want you, I want us as a church to rightly acknowledge the very real power of Satan in this dark place. If, you, if you're semi-cognizant of what's happening outside of your front door, you can't not see it. It is virtually everywhere. When you make statements like that's insane, that's crazy, those are the wrong conclusions. It's not insane, it's not crazy, it's demonic. When you can't make sense of anything, when you see our politicians make decisions that are counterintuitive to basic reasoning, when you see countries waging war upon other countries and the world reacts some poorly and some well, you have to think there has to be something underneath this. And of course there is, and that is the kingdom of darkness. Very real, still moving, still working against God and his church. We want to rightly acknowledge the power in Satan's kingdom, and then simultaneously recognize the power of God's kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ being what? Infinitely more powerful, right? Jesus Christ is God. Satan is a created being. How much more powerful is the kingdom of God over the kingdom of darkness? Infinitely more powerful. Now, that didn't impress you at all, I guess, huh? Infinitely more powerful. There's no comparison between these two kingdoms. Whatever Satan and the demons are allowed to do, God allows it to happen. But at any time, he can stop it immediately with a breath and with a word. On the cross, Jesus Christ, he mortally wounded Satan and the dominions of darkness. Now that final judgment's coming. When Christ comes again in glory, he's going to take Satan and all the demons and he's going to judge them and he's going to cast them where? Into the lake of fire. But upon the cross, he bound them. He bound them so they cannot exercise the same type of power that they used to before the coming of the Holy Spirit. Through his death and resurrection, 
Satan and the demons can still tempt us. But listen, when Christ gave his life, he bound Satan and he did something for you. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. And through the Holy Spirit, who is God and infinitely more powerful than Satan, you can, my beloved, you can overcome every temptation, every, every scheme of darkness, every plan that Satan or all the demons have against you, you in Christ can overcome. That is such an amen. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation. That's all-inclusive. No temptation, not even from Satan himself. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is what? He is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Not a single temptation, my beloved, is able to cause you to sin. Not one. Not one. Satan doesn't have that power. The demons can't, don't have that power. They can't cause you to do anything in Christ. They can only tempt you. And every time you're tempted, God has this big flashing sign going, eh, eh, eh. here's the way out. Here's the path of righteousness. Walk this way to me instead of being tempted by the evil one. The Apostle John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, you are from God and have overcome them, the spirits of the Antichrist, for he who is in you, you can finish it, is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, is greater than he who is in this world, Satan and all the demons combined. My beloved, if you have transferred your membership, if God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, has transferred your membership from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of Christ, then you have the power to resist and overcome every single temptation in your whole life. Everyone. You have the power to fight against every sin that you're battling right now. You have the very power in Christ to overcome Satan, the demons, and walk this faith well. That power is in you. It's in you through Christ. Christ through the Holy Spirit enables you to live the life that Christ has called you to live. Ephesians 5.8, at one time you were darkness. You were darkness. You notice that? Not that you were living in darkness. You were darkness. <laughs> you were the problem. You were darkness, living and enjoying life under Satan's kingdom. Then Paul says, but now you are light in the Lord. Now you're in Christ and you can enjoy the power and protection of this kingdom. And therefore, Paul says what? Walk as children of the light. That's a simple conclusion. You were darkness. You're now light in Christ. Therefore, walk as children of the light. Actively engage against the darkness. Push back the darkness in your life, in your home, at work, in school, in this place. Push it back. You say, well, how do I know that I'm actually in the kingdom of light and not the kingdom of darkness. How do I know? How, is there any way for me to know? The text actually gives us two ways and then I'm going to close. And they're fantastic responses to this revelation of these two kingdoms. How do you know you didn't sign a bogus deal like the Ukrainians back in 1994? How do you know that this is real and that you are in the right kingdom and you've been set free? First, there'll be transparent confession. Look at verse 18. You want to talk about a movement of the Spirit in Ephesus. Verse 18, transparent confession. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. So there were many 
who had believed Paul's testimony. They were inside the church in Ephesus, and they were still what? They were still doing magic. They were still practicing incantations and spells. They were still part of the culture of Ephesus. So these are real believers dabbling in evil practices. Now, obviously, one conclusion is don't do that. All that is evil. Soothsayers, tarot card readers, all that. The modern-day witchcraft. You know that we have today self-declared over 2 million witches in this country? Did you know that? They actually have their own forum on TikTok called Witch Talk. Witch Talk. Over 20 billion views. Billion. Yeah. So it's real here today. Obviously, we don't want to participate in that. Old Testament, New Testament, say, stay away from that. But something else I want you to notice is that they confessed and they divulged. That means it was a complete and total confession. They held nothing back. They held nothing back. They brought this sin of magic out and they confessed it. Friends, if, if there's one way you want to know that you're in the right place and the right kingdom, that your citizenship has been transferred, 1 John chapter 1, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, that's the kingdom of Satan, we lie, and what? We do not practice the truth. It's a lie. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So are you in confession? Do you confess your sins regularly? Do you see the evil that's part of your life, and are you bringing that before God and asking to be set free from it? I will ask you this morning and call you this morning if there is any evil practice in your life right now. I want you to bring it to mind. And I want you this morning, by God's grace, to confess it. Before you take communion, confess this sin before God. It is pleasing to Satan that you hold it. It is glorious to God when you confess it. Confess it before God today. Maybe confess it to a brother or sister in your discipleship, your community group. Have them pray for you. Have them hold you accountable in the future, saying, how are you doing with this particular sin? Remember, your enemy, the devil, wants to devour you, and the way he devours us is through our continued sin. Stay in it. Stay on that path of sin, and he is right there, drooling with his teeth, wanting to devour you, wanting to consume you, He wants to have your life be disrupted. He wants you to ruin your family. He wants you to ruin your testimony before God. This is what his kingdom does. His kingdom brings destruction and death, not light and life. He will encourage you, my beloved, to keep your struggle to yourself, won't he? He'll say, don't don't say that to anybody. That's so embarrassing. That's so embarrassing. You claim Christ. You can't confess that. And so you'll hold on to it. Don't listen to him. He will tell you that no one will understand you. If you confess that sin, no one will understand you. We don't care how loving or how mature someone is in Christ. They will not understand you. Keep it to yourself. Satan will whisper in your ear. I think most today we hear this temptation is that you can handle it on your own. I can handle this sin on my own. I don't don't need help. Satan will convince you of that. He'll probe you with that. You don't need help. You don't need your brothers and sisters. You don't need confession. Just try harder. Work harder. All lies. God says, confess your sins. God says what? God says, and I am faithful and just. I will forgive you your sins and what? Cleanse you, heal you from all unrighteousness. That's what God says. Confess and be healed. Confess and be set free. Oh, my beloved, 
I imagine there's much confession even this morning that needs to take place with you and God and maybe with a brother and sister in Christ. Do that today. Don't walk out those doors and have Satan and his demons prowl around you wanting to devour you. Why would you do that to yourself? Secondly, and lastly, if you want to know that you are, you've made that citizenship move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and you're now dwelling, you have to confess and then walk in righteousness. Right? You've got to confess and then turn from your sins to Christ regardless of the cost. Look at verse 19. And a number of those, so this is both saved and unsaved in the city, a number of those who had practiced magic arts, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. So they had a good old-fashioned book burning on the streets. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So saved and unsaved, they bring all their books. They're so moved by this kingdom interplay taking place before their very eyes, the darkness and the light. They bring their books out on the street and they... They burned them. These were books of magic spells and incantations and how to exercise particular types of demons. Um, what a countercultural movement. This is Ephesus. These are their most valued books. This was their DNA. I thought, well, what would that be like today? What would the public burning be like today in Cambrian Park? Well, I imagine it would be akin to us collectively giving up all the social media accounts we use to bring ourselves honor and glory. Imagine Cambrian Park saying, you know what? We're tired of trying to present ourselves in a particular way to receive glory, and we're going to bring all our social media accounts here to Cambrian Park, and we're going to burn them together. Oh, glorious day. Glorious day. Or maybe it would be all the members of the entire community in Cambrian Park saying, no more Netflix, no more Amazon, no more filth and pollution in my mind, no more wasting my time. What a glorious day that would be. My beloved kingdom citizens, confess and turn. You want to know you're, you're really in the kingdom of light? Children of light confess their sins and they turn to Christ regardless of the cost. 50,000 pieces of silver, total value of these books. You know how much that was then? 137 years of an av- average annual income. A lot of money. They burned that because God had made himself known. Most of the time, when we confess and turn from sin, it's hard. Right? I mean, the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. We sin because in that moment we want that sin. We enjoy that sin even though we know it's wrong. And so there are going to be costs involved. Usually when you confess a sin that's been a besetting sin for some time and you actually turn from it, there's a sense of anxiety or there's a loss, a feeling like you don't, there's, there's a void now in your heart because you've turned from that sin. Listen, if you confess your sin and you turn to Christ you will not only protect yourself from the enemy, the devil, John, James 4, resist the devil and he will what? He'll flee from you. Resist him and he'll run. Draw near to God and he, God, will draw near to you. Not only will you protect yourself when you confess your sin and turn to Christ, you'll protect yourself from the evil one. Remember, Christ destroyed the work of the devil on the cross. But you will find, you'll find sweet communion in Jesus you will find what you thought that sin was going to replace in your heart. That, that void that was there that you packed in with these sins that were hateful to God. You'll find Christ instead of the sin. 
You'll find joy, you'll find love, you'll find comfort in Him. And it will fill, Jesus Christ has the power to fill the biggest void, the largest hole, and the deepest longing of your human heart, infinitely so. You know that, right? There's no desire, no longing in your life that Jesus Christ cannot completely fill. John chapter 12, when speaking of his crucifixion, Jesus said, now the judgment of this world has come. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And then he said in verse 32, but when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. My beloved Jesus came, he suffered, he died, and he rose again, not only to defeat Satan and the works of Satan, but so that he could draw people, you, me, out of Satan's kingdom and to him, to Christ, to the kingdom of what? Healing and freedom to the kingdom of light and life and love. My beloved, when a community of believers lives like this as a faithful, loving, servant body of the kingdom of God like they were doing in Ephesus, when a church does that, an entire church and not just a few standout Christians, but the whole body working together, living in this forgiven, healed freeness that the gospel brings, the surrounding community will be impacted, right? We cannot, if this church is filled with the light of Christ and we live and walk in the light of Christ, we are going to impact those around us in the best possible way. Luke finishes this in verse 20. He says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Why? He had saved so many and so many were now living righteous lives in Christ. Those around it were seeing, and many more were being saved. My beloved, let's be that church here in Cambrian Park. Let's be that church. Let's live as his kingdom citizens in his kingdom, healed from our sins, set free from the temptations of Satan for God's glory. And let me encourage you every day to put on the full armor of God so that you can fight well for God's glory and that you can listen as you put on the full armor of God and you live in the freeness the gospel offers, you can go out as the missionary God's called you to be and instead of aprons and handkerchiefs bringing healing, the gospel of Jesus Christ through you will bring healing and freedom to the lost in your mission field. What a glorious thought. The power of God working through you to redeem many. Amen? Let's pray. Father, make us wise. Show us this enemy of yours, this enemy of the church, this enemy of Christ. Show us him clearly, Father, not, not that we might be afraid. There is no fear if we are in your son. But show us him clearly that we might fight well against him. Show us our standing in Christ and the power we have in the Spirit to truly, with every temptation, know and find and walk in that way out. I ask, Lord, that you would make us a holy people and that we would put on the full armor every day that we might do battle well. For our sakes, Lord, for our family, those whom we love, for this church, and for the gospel going out. Lord, I pray that if there's any sin in any heart of my brothers and sisters this morning, that before they take that bread and that juice, they confess it fully. They divulge it to you. 
And I pray, Father, they would find the wisdom to bring that sin before a brother and sister, not to be condemned and not to be judged, but to have prayer and accountability. I ask you would do that, Father, that you would, through that means of grace, make us holy as you are holy. Father, we don't want Satan to get a foothold here, not an inch. We want to be a people that truly transcend in the power of Christ. So I ask that you would do that for myself, for my brothers and sisters here. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Cambrian Park Baptist Church is a Reformed Baptist church in San Jose, California. If you'd like more information on our church, please visit cpbchurch.org. From there, you can find service times, weekly gatherings, our sermon archive, and other resources. For video content, please visit our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you again for listening.